Welcome to the Phase World Podcast, engaging conversations that cross the boundaries between business, art, and the digital world. Hello, my friends. It's been a month since I released the first episode of my podcast. This is going to be episode number eight. I've hit a 500 download milestone a few days ago. Pretty psyched about that. Well, the most exciting part of today is introducing my next guest, Matt Lindley, to you all. I suspect that most of you who are listening to this episode is because you know him, possibly have worked with him at some point. But for those of you who don't know Matt, he is the director of innovation for Sapien Nitro. We became friends instantly when he first started working there in 2009. Matt had such an impact on my life. If you were to ask me, list three people who helped shape you into who you are today, Matt would be one of them. Matt's list of accomplishments in the advertising and marketing world goes way, way back. He's been a storyteller for over 25 years. He sold One Zero Media, where he created and produced CBS's first broadcast TV show about the internet. And he personally hosted that for three seasons. He was an ECD, EVP, by the way, that means Executive Creative Director, as well as Executive Vice President at Arnold Worldwide Leading Progressive. And most recently, he co-created a business visioning tool called 36 Isapian Nitrile. He's a board member for Friends of the Boston Homeless, a nonprofit organization that helps over 400 homeless individuals move beyond shelter to lead independent lives in our community. Matt's also a board member for Stop Handgun Violence. Those of you who have driven by Mass Turnpike since 2008, you probably have noticed the 250-foot billboard that says, We sell guns, no ID required, no background checks. In this two-part episode, I recorded with Matt Lindley at his home office. You'll hear about Matt's path from growing up on a farm in Pennsylvania to his appointment as a senior advertising executive. Matt shares his strategy for making sure that your creative input is valuable. We also touch upon parenthood and what it means to do the best you can do as a father and as a colleague. I hope you all enjoy the show and remember that you do not have to scribble furiously. Show notes, tools, and resources can be found on my website at faceworld.com. That is F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D for this episode as well as all the previously released ones. You can also listen to my podcast directly on faceworld.com or subscribe via iTunes and non-iTunes channels. Enjoy. First movie, what year was that? To, what, what, what was it about? It was uh, 1984. Were mm-hmm. you born in 1984? Yes, I was one-year-old. <laughs> okay. It was, a, it was a Super 8 movie about um, flying. Yeah? Yeah. God, this is fantastic. Yeah, it's funny that you're in here. That This is an interesting, because it's all in here. It's not generally a place folks sit, but yeah, all the stuff's in here. Wow. This is great. You can. I feel like if we just go around your office, yes. we can. Yeah, we can probably talk. And, About um, all that. Yeah, the Eddie Eddie Hotel Eddie Guitar says, "Happy 40th, play till your balls bleed." Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> it's not really Eddie Van Halen. It's a joke. <laughs> it's a joke. 
There's nobody who he wouldn't write balls bleed, I don't think. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it's bad. So what about that movie from eighty four? What what was in it exactly? Are we going? Are we live? Here? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um so the movie was uh called Soaring and what happened was I grew up on a farm in Pennsylvania and right behind the farm was an airport. And the airport was a little grass strip. And every day as a kid, I would watch these sailplanes. And sailplanes are just uh, planes with no motors. And so I'd watch them and I could hear them. They'd come over the house. And when it was really, really quiet, you just hear this, you know, they fly over the house. Mm -hmm. So when I was, uh, when I went to George School, which is uh, where I went to high school, they have a senior project. So you get like three weeks to go do something. So I decided to make a Super 8 movie about flying. Uh -huh. So a buddy of mine, got, we got a tape recorder, put it between my feet. We got a, a Super 8 camera, Bolex, and we went up in sailplanes for like, you know, two weekends. And um, and then we used the Steve Winwood soundtrack and we put it all together and we showed it. Um, and it was just, you know, the music was synced by somebody putting the needle on a record. I mean, it was really old school. How, how long? How many minutes? Uh, it was probably three minutes. And it was, uh, and I showed it at an assembly my senior year, and I went back for a reunion for a 20-year, 15-year reunion, mm -hmm. one of those. And somebody said, hey, whatever happened to that movie? Mm -hmm. So my plan was to make it, to put it on a DVD. And then the guy I was talking to said, yeah, I wouldn't send your old Super 8 movie. And I was like, well, I don't want to lose it. So I'm still waiting to transfer it all, make it all digital. Really? When, yeah. when is that going to happen? I don't know. Sometime soon, I hope. But it's a great, it was a fun movie, and it was punctuated. The end of it was... Two loops in uh -huh. the sailplane, which are really scary because you have no motor, so you're going straight down uh, like 90 knots, and then uh -huh. you pull the stick back, and the thing goes inverted. And you can hear my voice on there. I was screaming like I was an 11-year-old, you know, um, <laughs> during that. And, uh, and, that was, and, and, uh, and that was it. So um, I really enjoyed it, but I never wanted to be a pilot. And I don't think I ever went soaring again after uh -huh. that flight. That was it. 84. 84. Were you already working in advertising or well i wanted to make movies my dad uh, who was a painter also had a film company called so so films and um, he had a movieola which is this giant film 16 millimeter film thing and i didn't know what it did but i thought it was cool so i'd see him in there looking at films and so he got me a little super eight one which had a little hand crank right and left and when you cut super eight film you actually slice it and then you glue you scrape scrape the emulsion and then you glue it mm -hmm. and you count to 20 and you pop it out so i learned how to do that and that's why this movie's probably in 72 old pieces because, uh, and probably yellow. But, um, so yeah, that was the beginning of wanting to make TV. The funny part was we didn't have TV. We didn't have a, there was no TV in the house. There was no, uh, we didn't have, um, yeah, no TV in the house, no nothing. My mm -hmm. parents were completely opposed to it. And as an adult, I have a nine foot screen in the basement. Uh, I used to be on TV and I make TV commercials. You have a, I heard you have a movie theater. In the yes. Basement. Well, the movie theater was the idea was we we're going to watch movies. It was going to be purely for movies. And then somehow a cable box wound up there. And I'm sure they're watching the Kardashians in the basement. Now. <laughs> I'm really sorry about <laughs> Well, thank you so much for having me in your beautiful house. There's so thank much to love. Thank you. And one of my favorite rooms is on the first floor overseeing the, backyard and there was all green yeah. i could just imagine like it's a perfect spot for meditation yeah yeah do you meditate in the oh god that would be yeah. <laughs> imagine that yeah somewhere between the uh, screaming about last night's homework not being done and the dog being 110 and peeing on the carpet i really don't have time to meditate <laughs> so there's i wish i wish um uh, I tried meditation. I just, I never really got, it's consistency is the thing about meditation. Once or twice is not enough. So the mm -hmm. idea of sitting out there and being really quiet.
Yeah. Um, I will tell you, my father at age uh, at age eighty got very got very ill mm. and came to live with us, and we built a wall, and that was his room, and he actually that was where he passed away. Oh wow! Um, was right in there, just the way he wanted. He he asked for a piece of art from his house in North Carolina to be put over the mantelpiece. We did, and he was there with us for three months. That was mm -hmm. his room. So he looked out the window every day, um, and then till the till um, till the day he passed away. And I was sitting there, and I looked at him, and I think I think that I said this is the first thing I said after my father died. I said, I think that's your ball game right there. Wow! <laughs> and he was just so super peaceful, really nice. And then that was it. Yeah, that's a that's a beautiful place. And when I walked yeah. in there, I just sensed something very different. Yeah. You know, um, where my mom came from, uh, we tend to be a little bit superstitious, I yeah. guess. Yeah. I do admit it, but um, I definitely sense a lot. And then you just shared your dad's sketches with me, and yeah. I just felt very different. It's so funny that I grew up in an artistic family. Yep. I cannot stand, like, print work. And I yeah. understand sometimes people have to do that and yeah. due to budget reasons and all that. But when you actually flip through the pages of something someone actually painted and yeah. put in so much thoughts. And I saw a lot of uh, life drawings, you know, people on the couch and dogs running around and yeah. all these things. It's kind of a his expression yeah. towards like the life he was living in. So. Yeah. He was he was a he was an extraordinarily passionate human being about art. Mm -hmm. Um I the, the in the some of the sketches you saw he was uh, what would happen is I would come home from school. Uh, I grew up in a, on a farm in Pennsylvania and it would be a random Wednesday. And I would bring my friend, I remember his name was Gary Anderson, and I brought him home from school, and we walked home from the bus. And it really was a mile on a dirt road. I mean, honestly, it really was. We walked home. <laughs> and I got home, and on the dining room table was a woman. She was probably about 270 pounds. There was a sheet on the table. There was this woman who was about 270 pounds. She was naked, and, <laughs> and she was surrounded by about nine men and women, all with sketch pads. And they were all just drawing her, her arms, her legs, her breasts, whatever. They were just all drawing parts of her. Uh -huh. Gary Anderson walked into the house went over, used the phone, and asked his parents to come pick him up. <laughs> he said, I don't want to be here. There's a gigantic naked lady on the dining room table. Um, so it was Wednesday sketch class um, at the house when I was a kid. And, wow. Yeah. I had no idea about all these stories. And... Yeah. I'm kind of wondering now. I realize the podcast I just told everybody that. But it really was a, it was a very, very different way to grow up. So that was kind of my, um, uh, my introduction to all this. And that was just sort of normal. Um, that's great you know what my podcast is labeled uh clean but there's one option i can adjust per episode to yeah, make right. it explicit yeah Listen, i love it i haven't been explicit yet have i or maybe maybe slightly but <laughs> no no not, yeah. not yet yeah. I, you know it's so fascinating i remember when i worked at sapient and unfortunately we didn't really get to work on all the great projects together yeah. i guess i was 25 26 and Trying to figure well, you're 50 out. now. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very different. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. I remember there was a comedian saying uh, how people change as they age. Yeah. Like in your 20s, you hate everybody, yeah. uh, you hate especially your parents. In your 30s, you hate the government and politics. And in your 40s, you're saying, I'm hungry. I can totally eat that pig. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. I'm arriving at I can eat that pig like a little bit earlier than I'm 40 at this point. So. Yeah. And I always realize, I always realize that your dad had such an impact on you, yeah. but not until today, just now, I realize it's even bigger and, and more significant than I thought. I think it was. I think it's. I think it's both my parents. They're both painters. I think that's. I think they're. Yeah. I think those. So the notion that mom had a studio and dad had a studio, they were both home all the time. So when I was growing up, and then they would take their, their they take their paintings, they put them in a VW bus and drive them into New York to the gallery that they had and sell them. 
and that's how the whole thing worked for years and years and years. Oh. So dad redid the pig pen and mom redid a, uh, what was a saddlery it turned out on this farm. And so she would paint and he would paint. And then they come in and smoke cigarettes and smell like turpentine all lunch <laughs> on the weekends. And then they go back out and paint again. You had the perfect childhood. I think I did. I, you know, but yeah. it, I, I, uh, there are people who would argue with that because I, I have a lot of uh, very strange notions about the way things are supposed to work. And now I get into traffic for an hour in the morning and I go in and I've got 150 emails. It's just a very, very different world for me. I'm very surprised because perhaps talking to you, I will figure out what my parents never understood about my life, my career. Yeah. Because as you know, both of them, um, you know, one was, one still is a very hardcore artist. That's yeah. all they've ever known. Yeah. And for me, trying to explain advertising, what I do is yeah. just like you just see there has become a expanding unstopped. So what is the part where you lose your mom when you t when you're talking to her about something that you're making? What is the part where she looks at you like what is there, is she look at you and say why would you do that or does she look at you and say I don't understand or she said that's really great for you sweetie. <laughs> Have a nice day. What does she say? It, it's interesting as a project manager when I describe to my mom the way I work with designers, user experience uh, designers, she's thinking, "Okay, that's like the digital side of things." But as a fine artist, I still get it. Mm -hmm. And it sounds pretty fun. Mm -hmm. Anything visual you put in front of her, what she struggles with, for instance, website design, especially banner type of mm -hmm. stuff, she's like, that's so much, there's so much, so many constraints you have to work with it. Yeah. For one, that's a box. And yeah. she can't yeah. think along that term. I'm like, mom, yeah. that's like a blown up version of, of what the actual actually is. Yeah. In reality, it's 300 by 250 pixels. And yeah. my mom loves grand, huge paintings. Yeah. She hated that. What she really struggles with, and anytime I pull up a spreadsheet or like a project yeah. plan, she's like, I, I, I want to paint, I want to get you out of this. This is yeah. this is horrendous, you yeah. know. Well, I get hives, I mean, I do the same thing. I get, I, yeah. I am not, and I have, this is part of being over 50, is there was a point where I just had to admit, I just don't know what to do with Excel. I really don't know. <laughs> And honestly, I think people begin, I don't know what to do with all that stuff. And I figure that you can help, you can get people to help you do all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And what you have to bring to bear as either an artist or someone who grew up in that environment is like, mm -hmm. listen, I, there are no straight lines in my life. There, everything's a curve. I don't, I don't, you know, my kids are in school. I, I'm not a big grade person. I don't, I don't, I'm not a big fan of homework. I don't, everything's a round edge for me. I think the unique people in the world are, have round edges. Or is it round edge? Is they, they're round. They're not square. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, but the problem is the pursuit. If you want to, if you want a house at the beach, and you want, it is extraordinarily hard mm -hmm. to be the whatever the former would be. It's very hard not to, you know, be in the banner box. The, all the furniture that was downstairs that you saw was initially paid for by I was at ZDNet making banners mm -hmm. um, years ago. And it was, I was making banners freelance. I was making, and they're, they're the smallest, you know, 90, it used to be, banners used to fit wherever they do it editorially. They would make the, make the publication online in 1996. And then they would tell you what the sizes were. There were no standard sizes. So at six o'clock at night, you would get your assignment. You get a 90 by 170, a 250 by 450. I mean, it was no standard sizes. And so we're in these little tiny boxes with little tiny cows stretching. You know, it was fun because it was weird. Mm -hmm. uh, but then years later, it becomes this sort of like uh, constraint. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I totally, I see your mom. I mean, there's, my father, I think was powerless to do anything else. He had to paint mm -hmm. and he used to go to the studio, even if he couldn't paint and sit there mm -hmm. with a book and read until noon. He would go at six o'clock in the morning and read for six hours if he had to, just so he would be there. That took that kind of discipline to get that kind of work done. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know why all artists are very similar. I, you know, I feel the same way about my parents and especially my mom. 
when she was, I don't know what your dad's upbringing was like, possibly very similar. Mm -hmm. For my mom, she came from a very musical family mm -hmm. and the rest of her sisters became musicians, but she knew she wanted to be an artist. And I think also because her parents are very um, conservative, mm -hmm. very strict. Mm -hmm. And for her, so she kind of went the other way mm -hmm. by expressing herself one of the examples she told me was when my grandma kind of bought new sheets and they were very poor back then. And she would try to find a pen, actually trace over all the prints on the sheet. And wow. Yeah, that's what she did as like three and a half, four year old. Yeah. I think art in itself is meditation for her. And I mm -hmm. think it sounds like very much for your dad mm -hmm. and your mom as well. My mom, the, the meditation has become where she is. Mm -hmm. I mean, she lives in a, on, a, on the farm in Pennsylvania. And I think the actual environment, the landscape has become what she does, she doesn't actively paint, but what she does is manage the farm, mm -hmm. which at, at 85 or 84 years old, wow. um, is just is a full-time job for her. Mm -hmm. So she manages this entire place and that's become her, um, what she does. Mm -hmm. uh, dad painted right up until a week before he died, he did a painting for Addie, oh, uh, wow. drawing for Addie. Um, but dad just stayed, just hit, for him, it was always paper to pencil, but yes, same thing. He was a, it was a, his father was an editor, mm -hmm. uh, um, and, um, edited, uh, and was a translator. Um, and, but they lived a, he lived a pretty strict upbringing. He said he didn't eat with his parents till he was like nine years old. He used to eat in the kitchen mm -hmm. and his parents would have dinner. I mean, why, was, why was that? It was oh. sort of a thing, uh -huh. uh, a, ch a child of the, you know, uh, forties, forties, fifties. He went away to boarding school. It was one of those put, you know, get the trunk, put it on the train. Sent him to Hotchkiss, mm -hmm. uh, got out of Hotchkiss, uh, put the trunk on the train, sent him to Yale, um, and then he came home. That was it. Mm -hmm. um, so it was very much send your kids to these different places. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, um, and in the meantime, what he did was, you know, he wanted to paint, and painting was it. Um, and then he went to the Art Students League, which is where he met my mom. So they were oh. both there at the same time. Wow. Yeah. This is this is incredible. I, I feel so blessed that just talking to you, one of the reasons I started the podcast is... I feel like I know you. Um, I know you really well. Yeah. Uh, even though we had, you know, I've known you since 2009. Yeah. I had to look back to your LinkedIn profile to find out exactly when you started <laughs> Sapien. I'm like, oh my God, I've reached that age. It felt like two, three years ago. And it turns out it was uh, five years ago. Yeah. And uh, one of the questions I, I was always eager to ask is what shaped you, shaped you into who you are? How, you know, what is what is that mix of things? Um, yeah. And I think your parents definitely played, and how you grew up, where you grew up, yeah, played a really interesting part. Well, that's why I think you could say that. I mean, it's like the stories you were telling me about the Forbidden City. I mean, that mm -hmm. changes someone's life, right? Mm -hmm. I'm seeing these things that you see. I grew up on a uh, in, in rural Pennsylvania, hundred acre farm. Um, there was no television. There was, you know, uh, I listened to the radio at night. I mean, it really, really was as as uh, low key as it could possibly be. Mm -hmm. And um, then yet you became a senior executive creative director at one of the most prestigious multiple, you know, advertising agencies in Boston. Well, I think that I think that's because of that. I think the thing mm -hmm. was I had I could see things that other people I saw the relationship between things that other people didn't see be, because of uh, the need to to simplify the need to simplify things. Mm -hmm. I'm in a constant state of needing to simplify things because I really can't put them. There's a perspective that you can see in a spreadsheet, like you said. You're opening up a spread. I don't know what's happening. I have to, <laughs> and I was in school. I was a horrible student, and I would look at that stuff, and the teachers would look at me and go, "You're so smart. Why can't you figure this out?" I'm like, mm -hmm. "I'm really not that smart. My my brain doesn't work that way." Mm -hmm. But I can connect these two things together. 
Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what my job has become. And I didn't realize till I was uh, uh, working in Arnold, I think, mm -hmm. that it was like, that's what a creative director does. It's like, wait a minute, I saw that in, when I was a kid, or I saw that six months ago, or did you hear that music? That, that If you take that music and you put it together with this, and then when digital came along, it was like, wait a minute, if you take that music and this CMS and that thing, and you put them, <laughs> and suddenly there was this combination of all these elements mm -hmm. that made for these experiences for users that were, and I say users because it used to just be viewers. It, you, you, you jam all that stuff together and like, oh, this is incredibly smart. You're like, no, it's not. It's all there. Mm -hmm. It's just seeing the connection. And I think that's, in the end, that's become it, is just stepping back. And it's, I call it, it's called child's mind, which is you just like, you just go to this place in your head where you like, act like you're nine. And you look at it and you go, no, you know what? I don't get that. Like, I honestly don't get that. And there's no other place to do that except advertising. Because mm -hmm. you're looking at it, you know, it's financial. Well, you're not supposed to get that. That's for big boys. But in advertising, <laughs> it's a paper towel, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. There's, there's, there's uh, someone said the other day, there's 97 different kinds of toothbrushes. Why should I give a shit about this one? Mm -hmm. and you're like, well, let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. You know, what's the, and that's seeing those connections and making those mm -hmm. with all the stuff that we have now we mm -hmm. can bring to bear mm -hmm. is what makes it interesting. So as the director of innovation, yeah, we'll get into the title because I think maybe just the coolest and the sexiest titles yeah. anywhere in the world. <laughs> yeah, well, it's also the first person to get fired, but yeah. I just love the conversational setup, you know. Yeah, I, I, I can tell, you know, it's funny watching you doing this is like, I think this is what you need to do. Yeah. I think maybe you need to be at, that's too cold. You need to be at a, you need to, this is what you need to do, I think. I love it. You know, I. And also everybody on the radio sounds like you. You, you ever listen to anybody on the radio? Like the accent, you know, like. No way. You know, no one has that, like, everybody on the radio has a voice that has a thing. Yeah. You have a thing. Thank you. Yeah. I'm not sure if you knew this. I shouldn't bring up things from 15 years ago, but I was, um, I worked as a DJ at China National Radio Station. Yeah. When I was 15, 16. Yeah. I was never trained and they were open-minded enough to say that it's okay for you to be a complete amateur. Yeah. So what happened prior to that, if I didn't mention, was my mom over the radio signed yeah. me up for a national English competition. Yeah. Of course, I grew up speaking Mandarin Chinese and yes, my parents had a lot of foreign friends, but you know, in the long run, I was speaking English like two weeks out of a year, broken English. Yeah. By the time I showed up at the competition, my mom's like, you're going to win. You would be number one. Like, mom, everybody else is also an only child. Yeah, so, like, right. don't, <laughs> please, just be realistic here. And then I walked around and I noticed all the, they're all Asian kids. Yeah. And they're like, oh, we go to school in L.A. You know, my family is in Brookline. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah, We're yeah. in Beijing. And this yeah. is not fair. Yeah. Mom, no way I'm going to win. So she's like, but yes, you will. And I got up there. I just did my thing. My mom was like enthusiastic among the audience. I still remember seeing her face. And at the end of the day, and my mom's like, you got to do it. So what happened was in the end, I sang a song. Yeah. Um, it's a very touching story. I just picked up the guitar. I felt so awkward. And I looked around, it was like 5,000 people watching the competition, yeah. just playing and singing. So I did come in first. Uh, come in first. It's, thank you. That's and, awesome. And the best part of all that is a director of China National Radio approached me and said, would you like to have host the show? And he's like, but, you know, clearly you have never done this before and you're 15. You got to sign all the paper and you need to um, co-host the show first before we determine you're good enough. Yeah. So I did that with some guy, apparently very famous, yeah. some 25 year old. Yeah. I remember going to school the next day. People were like, can we get his autograph? He's so cute. And yeah. 
And then I did the show and live, and that guy, that DJ, made me sing what I sang during the competition. I felt extremely awkward, and I was thinking, yeah. "No way, I'm doing this, but I'm gonna do it." Yeah. And I got my show for about a year. Um, That's had, awesome. Yeah, I had a ton of fun. Yeah. Produce it in a really professional studio. Yeah. I. And that's one of the trigger points. My mom, you know, to my 31-year-old self, my mom's like, you can do it. Get yeah. back into radio and you got to have your show. I was like, yeah. mom, I don't know, man. I'm too old. And no, you're not. No, 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 not at all. This is an expression that my both my father and mother used, which is why not you? Yeah. And why not you is really true. Why not you? That's going to be the first quote. You know what? That's going to be the title of this podcast. Yeah. Why not you? Why not you? Well, that, that speaks to the, the notion that... Um, uh, you know, 72 careers. I opened a restaurant um, in Gloucester with a friend of mine. Um, it wound up being 66 cents an hour when we were done because it took so much time to do everything. Um, <laughs> we did a we uh, we I've done a bunch of startup companies. Um, one of which was a TV show with a website um, that we a company that we sold. Totally absurd idea, um, but but again, why not? Why not you? Mm -hmm. And I remember calling my parents saying, "Listen, I'm going to quit my job. I just gotten married. I said I'm going to quit my job. We're going to start this thing." And, they were just, you know, thumbs up. Wow. And I'm wondering whether or not I'm going to be that guy. You know, I'm wondering whether or not my kids are going to call and go, listen, dad, I'm going to go hydroponic pot. And you know, <laughs> like, that's awesome, buddy. I'm so excited for you. Um, I don't know whether that's going to be, I want to be the same guy. You know, I want to be like your mom looking at you going, listen, you're going to win. Because uh -huh. there's a kid who lives in Brookline, you know, or LA. Mm -hmm. And it's an English competition. I mean, that's brutal. Yeah. And, and, and you won. And, and so that goes back to that expression, which is why not you? Because there's a lot of people mm -hmm. who, who do what, you know, where you say, you know, that's not necessary. I don't, I'm not going to do that. And then you go, you know what? Yeah, I am going to do that. And I have a mm -hmm. feeling that's kind of your, that's kind of your thing. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think part of that comes from having a mom who's an artist, which is you have to put yourself out there. You can't be a half an artist. I mean, mm -hmm. you can be advertising is half art. Like you can put yourself out there until it offends your client. Mm -hmm. But the notion is that you go as an artist, you got to go all the way to the canvas. You got to go all the way to the, you have to go all the way to the full expression. Otherwise you're cheating yourself. Mm -hmm. So then there's no point. Mm -hmm. So the question is, what do I do to get fully there? So for you, you know, NPR, Sunday afternoons, you know, phase world, phase world, phase world. You never know. And, yeah. um, to be honest, I had no idea how much traction I could get. Mm -hmm. um, I would imagine. So this is what happened a week ago. I finally put my foot down. And after having a, a minor emotional breakdown, okay. um, producing this, listening to myself, and thought, that was awful. Nobody wants to listen to this. Yeah. You know, I'm not even from here. I could hear my accent. I got nothing good to say. I better <laughs> quit this now. And I really, I never thought I would think about myself that way, think of myself that way. Yeah. And I made a decision um, to, you know, basically complete the website, learn a ton more. And um, on Monday, I decided to post it on Facebook and immediately got 20, 30 comments, more likes. Yeah. Okay, great. Posted to Twitter, shared it on LinkedIn and decided I'm going to just forget about the whole thing. And people started resharing. Yeah. Um, I was saying, you know, they're uh, one of the coworkers I respect a lot, Matt, Ianta. So there are great things happening every day. And <coughs> this is one of the moments that he oh. will always remember. And another guy who's a uh, senior vice president at Mullen now, and he said, you know, he forwarded this to his pupils saying, you know, if you want to learn about user experience, listen to this podcast. Wow. Yeah, I was really touched. That's until you interviewed me, then the whole thing went to hell. <laughs>
Everything was fine. I was going like this. And then, yeah. No, not at all. Yeah. You were absolutely one of the reasons for me to start the podcast. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I, I think looking back, uh, truthfully, you know, when I started this, I know it's a, it's a big project. I have a full-time job, but I thought about the people kind of echoing my head. You know, my mom being one, but don't yeah. judge me. She's a mom. She's always going to be echoing my head. Um, but I remember very clearly how we met and that image, the aura that you had and how it projected onto me of making me, uh, one, uh, I instantly stopped questioning myself uh, as much. Uh, I must describe this. You've heard the story multiple times. But that song, Fireflies. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I, in 2009. Everybody hated that song except for me. Yeah. You know, in 2009, yeah. I, whether I was running on a treadmill, walking down the street, that song totally caught me. Yeah. The lyrics made no sense whatsoever. Yeah. It was bubbly. It's, you know. It was everything a pop song. It's total, it was total sugar. Total sugar. Yeah, I liked it. I, I have my noise cancellation headphone on. And when I was listening to the song, and of course, no coworker near me, a sapien, could even hear it. Yeah. I was so embarrassed. I was like, let me turn the volume down. Yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. And then I would try yeah. to pop open Pandora's, like, and minimize it right away. Like, yeah. So people don't see it. And yeah. then I remember that day, I heard you playing from like 30 feet away. Yeah. So loud. Yeah. And I walked up to you. And you were like, Faye, isn't this great? This thing, this is great. And I realized that for some reason there's so many feelings that kind of such a simple event yeah but somehow it really changed my perspective working in a consulting and advertising firm and the fact that you know sapien hired someone like you oh that's that's really that's incredibly nice of you to say yeah little things yeah well you know? i think it takes a lot i think <coughs> i think it takes a lot to i think when you're older when you're when you're when you're a dad and you're supposed to be wearing you know dad jeans and doing dad things you can do almost any embarrassing thing you want and it's when you begin to admit that you really every once in a while you watch things on tv people are like into these sort of avant-garde i went to see nesferatu and the original black and white it was awesome and they <laughs> you're like you know what i'm not interested i saw you know i saw pacific rim you know the horrible horrible sci-fi movie and i loved it mm -hmm. i mean i didn't love it as a movie it's not high art uh, but i admitted that it was a good couple hours i spent with my son watching an action flick Mm -hmm. So I think that there's a certain point where you just got to be honest with yourself and everybody else. So yeah, I like the song, but as every as everybody told, as soon as you like the song and you played it 500 times, and you're like, okay, I'm done with that. Yeah, so I've been looking for the next one since then. You know, been for the next big one. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, and I think immediately I remember what happened immediately after we listened to the song together for 30 seconds. Yeah. I approached you for a good reason was one of let's just say a pretty high end client executive at the time was not good about um, collection. I remember their invoices, he was supposed to collect for a bunch of clients, yeah. he ignored me and didn't do it. Yeah. So I approached you and said, what can I do about this? Matt, can you help me? Did and I say Slash's tires or something? What did I say? <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> I said, Matt, could you help me with some Photoshop so we could put like a devil, like the horns or something, just make fun of this guy. Yeah. And I sent an email out to everybody. Yeah. It was kind of the theme. And, and you said, you know what, Faye, I am five minutes late to an agency meeting, but let's just do that right now. And we, so, we, did, we? we did that. Did we, five did minutes, so you were 10 minutes late altogether. <laughs> and the best part was we were able to collect over a million dollars from really? this particular client in the next two days. <laughs> yeah, I hate to think of what we did. But I, you know what's funny is I think I'm losing my mind because I forget all these things. I do remember the song, though. That was awesome. That was fun. Yeah. If I may recall the third thing, we'll get into. I, I love 
for you to paint a uh, sort of what your day is like. I think many people are really curious. But before we get there, there's one moment, a third moment I'll never forget. So one being fireflies, second was painting a picture of this guy in Putting Photoshop. Putting horns on the guy in Photoshop. Yeah. yeah, in Photoshop. There are many other moments I, I hate to admit, but the third one, I thought it was so magical. We're in uh, a meeting again, one, you know, once a week, I think we were there to talk about collection, overall strategy, yeah. all client executives, and I'm not going to name the person, but um, someone who's always happy, smiling, everything's always under control. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember that day, 15, 20 people, and all of a sudden he got really angry, probably for a good reason, because yeah. that's once a week meeting and someone, one of the client executives was not able to join. Yeah. I remember there was a really awkward silence and you're sitting next to me and I had no idea how to continue. I had a stack of paper yeah. of things I need to go through Yeah, and I didn't know what to do. And, um, and all of a sudden I just saw in the, the corner of my eyes, you're ready to say something. And I was thinking, Oh my God, what's going to, what's going to happen? And you cracked the joke. You actually cracked the joke right then and there and everybody laughed and we just moved on. Oh. That's that awesome. Well, that's good. I, <laughs> you're glad about the outcome. Yeah, I was, I was waiting for the rest of the story. I was like, and then you farted. And I was like waiting for you to say, there was this really bad thing that happened. That was amazing. Yeah. And I was thinking, that's that's risk-taking. Yeah. Uh, not to start painting a theme, but you know, I'm taking a risk having a podcast. Yeah. You were taking a risk of telling a joke. And I thought to myself, thank God it's a good one. I mean, that's something <laughs> that you could be fired from. Yeah, I yeah. was... You know, that's a... Um... But you can't be afraid. You know, the thing about it is, is if you live, and I think this, again, goes back to art. If you go, if you, the the, uh, the important thing, the reason you get hired, I mean, the reason you get hired to run a, a drill press is because you're good at a drill press. And that's a real job. I mean, people do their whole lives. They do a drill press, not to take anything away from it. The reason you're hired in advertising, you're good in advertising, because you have an opinion. And to mm -hmm. abandon that opinion... To co you can compromise that opinion. I mean, you can you can compromise because they don't want to. There's not you not up putting another chimpanzee in another TV spot, you know, for the holidays. It's just not happening. And it, you thought it was the best idea ever. Um, but it, to have an opinion, to have a reason, a point of view, is what makes people successful. And I think when people get that, they all of a sudden they move ahead. Like you're moving ahead in your career to a certain point, and you realize if you put your opinion out there. It doesn't mean the first agency will like it, even the second agency, but the third agency, like, oh, my God, this is great. Tell us what you think. And you're like, you know what? I think this. And then someone mm -hmm. listens. It's like you. you got 74 you know, shares on your podcast. You're like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. There's affirmation right there. So in a, in a social world, it's just, it works both ways, too. Mm -hmm. uh, my daughter had a party here. This is oversharing, but <laughs> Addie had a party here. Um, she invited, you know, I told her she could have 50 friends. So she had 50 friends, and we had a DJ, and the lights were down. They were kicking stuff around. People were taking pictures. Halfway through the party, she was in tears. And I asked her what was wrong. And she said what happened was the people she didn't invite saw it on Facebook or someplace because other people were posting pictures and were saying nasty things because they weren't invited. Mm -hmm. So imagine the middle of a party. We're an hour into a party, and all of a sudden she's getting feedback in real time from people who did not get invited because um, they were angry. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, if you live your life like that, or if, or if all this stuff impacts you that way, you're never going to get out there. Mm -hmm. And we, all we admire is people who get out there. All the people we like, everybody likes, they're like, that, those people are out there. You're like, so that's true. really cool because mm -hmm. they're out on a limb. Mm -hmm. It's not a comfortable place to live mm -hmm. until, like I said, until you're old, older, <laughs> and you're over 50 and you don't give a shit. 
anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, but when I was in my, it was super important when I was 25 or 35 that I was cool. I had to be, you know, like, I want to be cool. I want to be in. Mm -hmm. And then some, at some point that fades and you, you're getting included because you're kind of out. Mm-hmm. You kind of just wander out into the ether and you sort of like, yeah, I kind of, I like Firefly. <laughs> like that is the dumbest song I've ever heard. I'm like, no, I like that song. Let's talk about that for a second. At what point, what age, if you still remember that that was the tipping point where a trigger, <laughs> yeah. something triggered, was it just a gradual over time? I think it was, a gra- it was not an overnight change. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot, there's a lot of, there's so many um, weights and measures on a career on a, mm-hmm. on a being a father, on being a husband, on being a human being on the planet, on being a, but once you put all of that on your plate, once you, once you, you spread it all out, you're like, okay, I can only do so much. So mm-hmm. Warren Buffett had this expression. He said, take the top 25 things you want to do and write them all down, you know, because mm-hmm. if you don't vision it, you can't, if you don't write it down, it can't become real. Mm-hmm. Write those down, mm-hmm. uh, circle the top five, then throw away the other 15, just throw <laughs> them away. Because there's no point in trying to do everything. So what can you do? And then what you can do is be the best you can be at all the different things that you do. So mm-hmm. I'm never going to be the best employee that, you know, the, the, the an agency month. ever had. Yeah, I'm not employee of the month. I mean, I may hit a month. You know, I may, I, may, I could peak in December. Um, but I'm not going to be the guy. I'm not there all weekend. I don't do it. And mm-hmm. I openly admit I don't do it. I mean, I do when it's necessary. But I, I'm not going to do it just mm-hmm. to do it. And I'm not, you know, I'm a, I consider myself a really good dad, but I'm not the, I mean, there are dads out there who are like, you know, building paper mache elephants with their kids all weekend. I'm, I'm not that guy either. So what, how, how much can I do? So it is moderation and all these things. Mm-hmm. And also the sort of, you know, help ever hurt never kind of thing, which is like, you know, try to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I think to, to answer your question, along, it, it, along the way, you discover all these things and you try to be super cool and it's just exhausting. You try to be mm-hmm. super dead. And it's just mm-hmm. exhausting. What can I do? Mm-hmm. You know what? I can be about 90 percent, 85 percent in four things. Mm-hmm. That's it. then. Mm-hmm. It's good. I'll take it. Yeah. You know, I think that's important. The the wheel of life, you know, you slice into different pies, personal career, all that. It is, I think it's important to score relatively high yeah. or, or, you know, find a balance around all, all the pieces. Yeah. You know, I, I totally agree. I think some people over-index in a certain category and the rest completely suffer. And I Well, that's fear. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's fear. I think what, you, what you're describing is if I over-index at work, mm-hmm. it's very, you, 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 you begin to sacrifice other things. It's just very hard. A, a friend of mine who is, um, uh, is a shrink. Mm-hmm. We we're sitting in a, we were, I, I, I walked past Pete's coffee. It's a great moment. I walked past Pete's coffee. I see him sitting in the window. So I go in and I sit next to him. He does not say a word. He looks at me and he nods and I nod at him and I have coffee. And we don't say a word to each other for like five minutes. Uh-huh. It's just sort of coexistence. <laughs> and then he, lo- then he looks out the window and he's looking at these cars going by and he goes, do you have any idea mm-hmm. how hard it is just to keep a car on the road? And what he was talking about was the fact that, you know what? It's amazing we handle what we do, mm-hmm. and we all take it for granted. I got you know, pick up the kids at three, do this, get the hockey, get to do this, and get the thing, and I get the thing, and I get, the, and it's just normal. It's mm-hmm. not normal. Mm-hmm. It's not okay. You mm-hmm. in order, you got to have some balance in all that. Mm-hmm. So I think that he he he's as a shrink. This is what he deals with all day. Is people just get overloaded. Mm-hmm. I, I had that feeling, exactly as you described on my way um, to your house. I, of course, leverage um, enabled, um, what do you call that, like GPS, mm-hmm. 
punch in your address. Yeah. And this is uh, 25 minutes. So the whole time I was thinking it was pretty bad. I was like, I don't want to miss any turn. I want to go through the perfect path and get there exactly 25 minutes. And if it's get there 30, it means I made some mistakes. And as I was thinking <laughs> about that, I was like, wait a minute, life shouldn't be yeah. perfect. Life yeah. is never perfect. Yeah. Give yourself, I think we are so hard on ourselves. And, yeah. Um, one of the things I, I don't use Twitter very much, but one of the things I tweeted was be gentle on yourself. Yeah. You know, be gentle to yourself. And I noticed this in particular, not to get really deep into it. And I think after my dad passed, my mom, I felt like she's on her own. So I make sure I carve out two, three days a week, take her grocery shopping, do yeah. all this for her, make sure life is as perfect as it can be for her. Yeah. And there, there was this period of time I completely neglected um, my, myself, my yeah. feelings, um, things I, I do that are important to me to yeah. take care of myself. Yeah. So I think you're, you're right. And I think you provide a, almost like a philosophical approach to understand why that is, because even if you plan your day perfectly, yeah. your week, forget yeah. it. Like yeah. your day could totally go sideways and yeah. work. Well, part, um, of that's, part of that's cultural though. I look at you though. I, you know, it's uh, the stories that you've told me about, you know, uh, going from, going from, uh, you know, Beijing to arriving at Freiburg Academy at eight o'clock at night with the snow falling. And then, you know, uh, doing, doing, you know, the martial arts as much as you have and your mom's doing, I mean, you're, if you look at you, I mean, you're, you're at my house doing phase world, you know what I mean? <laughs> Like you do a lot, you Thanks. do a ton. And I think that as human beings on the planet, we don't look at each other and recognize the fact that you're doing a ton. No mm -hmm. one, I look at my kids and say that, you know, and I get, I cancel things all the time for them. And he's got, you know, 9,000 things and Sam sleeps most of the day. <laughs> but the idea is that if I look at you, I'm like, you do this and this and this and this and this. And I said to the kids, I'm like, Faye's coming and you come walking in the door and the kids have cornered you to talk about, you know, the China trip. And yeah. Um, and you got a lot going on, but people very rarely look at each other mm -hmm. unless they're a parent mm -hmm. and go, listen, you got to take, you got to, you got to take care of yourself. You got to, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you got to take some of this off your plate. You got to, but then you realize there's things like, and I think like, Phase, like this for you could be mm -hmm. sort of a, a journey mm -hmm. um, and that journey helps you those other things it lubricates the other things mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. puts those in perspective yeah um, and in that case that that journey becomes super important so it may be one extra thing mm -hmm. but it also might be the thing that puts everything else in the perspective that it needs to be in you're like I have now found my purpose or I found another purpose in my life and then the two roads diverge and off you go yeah thank you for your support though I know you are one of the busiest people I know but I just want to throw it out there. After I emailed you, you reply, love, love it. Definitely will get involved. And that means a lot to me. And, you know, for one, you're very known, your name is very known in the agency world. And that was not the only reason, you know, actually that's the less important of a reason. But the fact that every time I talk to you, you pour your heart out, you know, I remember every conversation, me as a 25, 26 year old, I, I thought to myself, why would an EVP care about my feelings, my questions? And you did. So I realized we oftentimes live our lives with false assumptions, with misconceptions. And as I was writing uh, some of the questions, which I, I didn't even have to look at my paper, the conversation kind of just flows right through. Working at a bigger agency, such as Arnold or Sapient, you get to meet so many people, learn from most of them. Mm -hmm. And, but sometimes regardless of when I was 25, 30 now, and you feel like you're in a, this very exciting city, very trafficy, and having people like you 
and, and also Caleb Brown from episode one, you guys are very different, but it makes me feel like it's a little neat coffee shop, a little tea house <laughs> that I could go to and learn things and feel um, very comfortable and, mm -hmm. and, and creates a, a set of opportunities, not just there sipping tea, mm -hmm. but really to pull myself away from the chaos Mm -hmm. and to to really look into myself and this is not just about me because i've heard all these stories about you i'm not going to name some of them but they were so touching when i when i entered into my um, second agency i mm -hmm. spoke with someone who said he was also a very junior designer at the time did um, i fire him or something no, no. not <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and um he was a junior designer and he had to leave the country uh, due to visa issues oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then he said before, you know, things had to happen very quickly. And I completely understand that, uh, knowing that's similar to my background. And you pull him aside and took everything for him without even telling him that you're going to do so. And you actually, you know, set some time aside and make sure his transition yeah. um, was very smooth. And he told me now probably in his mid to late 30s. And he said he will always remember that. Yeah, I think we got him back. Didn't we get him back? Yeah, yeah we you got did. Back. You <laughs> did. Um, yeah. So that concluded part one of my conversation with Matt Lindley. In part two, I started with a question, how should digital versus traditional media merge and or build upon one another? What is Matt's vision and hope as he has seen the advertising world for decades? Matt said he likes the expression of floating behind yourself. At that moment, you begin to see the world differently. The collective we, as a company, if we could just learn from each other enough to move forward, we can really do extraordinary things. The question is, can you step back far enough to see? Can you be a catalyst for that? We move beyond just company culture. At times, Matt naturally turned himself into an interviewer to ask about my upbringing. And that really connected the dots for me to understand how and why I started this podcast. To listen to more episodes of the Face World podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or visit faceworld.com. That is F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D, where you can find show notes, links, other tools, and resources. You can also follow me on Twitter at Face World. Until next time, thanks for listening.